Hey, this is Vivian Campbell, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and if you're hearing my voice, it can only mean one thing. That's right, time for yet another week of Focus on Metal. So if you listened in last week, you know that we had on Vinny Apice talking about Last in Line as well as all the other things that he's been up to. And if you didn't catch that one, well, what are you waiting for? Go back and listen to uh, to that episode. Great chat that Richie had with Vinny. And as usual, Vinny has all kinds of great stories to tell. So then it came to this week's episode and trying to figure out what is it I'm going to do. Richie had a whole bunch of audio we did and it was like, well... Can I do another last in line week, like two in a row? Do I switch it up? Thought about it. And ultimately, I thought, you know what? Guess this week didn't just talk about last in line. Richie kind of delved him down a few other pathways as well. And I thought, what the hell? So this week, first up in the guest list is Vivian Campbell. Of course, most people these days know him best as uh, the other guitarist in that little old band, Def Leppard. But of course, back in the day, a lot of us knew him as the uh, guitarist on the first few Dio albums. And, you know, we hung out with Whitesnake for a year. He's done a bunch of releases with River Dogs. And, of course, Vivian first came into my radar way back in the early 80s as the guitar player in the new album band, Sweet Savage. But as I said, this week, Viv is joining us once again, talking a lot about Last in Line, but also talking about Def Leppard and a few other projects that he is up to. So great chat with Vivian Campbell this week. Also this week, Richie sat down with Chloe Lowry. Yep, Richie was uh, hanging out back in, I think, back on the bus at uh, one of the shows he went to and uh, got to chatting and ended up talking to Chloe Lowry. And, of course, Richie, being the uh, friendly Irishman that he is in that chat, ended up promising Chloe that he would have her on the show and and give her an interview. And so uh, Richie always living up to his promises. So uh, this week uh, we've got Chloe. And Chloe has been out with uh, TSO since, uh, I think, around 2010. But also, more recently, she has been involved as one of the principal performers in Rocktopia. And as you can recall, we've had several guests from Rocktopia on in the last few months. And uh, Chloe is yet another one. And as Richie put it to me, you know, she's not, uh, you know, totally the the metal shredder or anything, but uh, she does love her metal and she is involved with, you know, a pretty cool uh, metal inspired act with TSO and also uh, a pretty great show with Rocktopia. So Richie was able to delve in all kinds of stuff with that. And since she's got such a varied background, Richie was able to really satisfy his curiosity on a lot of topics in regards to TSO, Rocktopia, you know, that end of the music business, as well as uh, Chloe's own stuff about taking care of her voice and all that good stuff. So, as you can probably figure out, pretty diverse show this week with Vivian Campbell and Chloe Lowry. But before we get down to business, what do you say? Two weeks in a row, let's do a track of the week. All right, I was able to get kind of a thematic track of the week this week just by uh, just by shit luck. 
So if you are listening to this episode on its release date, uh, June 12th, then uh, two days from now, there'll be a brand new Yawn release, and that would be Live on Death Road, which was a live set that was recorded during the Frontiers Rock Festival in Milan back in April of 2018. And if you get the full package, you'll get uh, two CDs as well as a Blu-ray. So lots of stuff on there. Great lineup. And of course, you've got Alessandro Del Vecchio on keyboards and our buddy Francesco Giovino on drums and uh, some more of the cast of characters from uh, from Frontiers. But most importantly, Yorn is in fine voice and kicking ass. Great set list on this one as well. And uh, I think that everybody that uh, gets this one is really going to dig it. And if you missed it, just to remind you that uh, that back in 2018, that was uh, that was Yorn's 50th birthday year. And in celebration of that, he did do a 12-album box set. So be on the lookout. Maybe there's a few copies of that still left around. But anyways, back to track of the week this week. So the single they were putting out from this one is perfect to play on this week's show because, you know... Viv started and uh, really made his mark with the Dio band. And the single that Yorn released off of Live on Death Road is also a song that is originally sung by Dio. Not with the Dio band, with Black Sabbath, but still it's a great version of one of my favorite Sabbath songs. That's right, Little Mob Rules. So from uh, Yorn, from their latest release, Live on Death Road, this is their version of... The Mob Rules. If you listen to Fools, The Mob Rules. There you go. Track of the week from Yorn off of their brand new one. Coming out in two days, 
live on Death Road. And, of course, you can get that in several versions, including the Deluxe Edition, which is a Digipack, two CD, DVD, and there is also a Blu-ray version as well. And you can order that from all your favorite places, including uh, Soul Food Music, who is the uh, the carrier that does all that stuff for the uh, Frontiers web shop. So what do you say we get down to business with our first interview as Richie chats with Vivian Campbell? And I got to say that this is probably the shortest conversation I have ever heard Richie have with a fellow Irishman. But with uh, with this interview, he actually accidentally slipped into being able to interview everybody in Last in Line for the Last in Line 2 release. Wasn't even intentional. He just fell into it. So with that, why don't I turn the mic over to... Richie and guitarist Vivian Campbell. Hi, Vivian. How are you? I'm very well, Richie. And yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Um, I'm from Waterford. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, you said that to me the last time, too. <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm predictable, eh? Yeah. <laughs> so, you're, are you off to... Uh, where are you you're doing rehearsals with Leopard this weekend? I, I am. I'm leaving on Sunday uh, to go to... We're rehearsing north of Sheffield. <laughs> that should be exciting. Okay, that's the, all the lads get to go home. Yes, yes, indeed. I, so we're there for a few days. And I'm speaking of getting home, I'll get to run over to Belfast for a couple of days too. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you how often you get to go to actually get back there. I get back once, at least once a year. Some some years I make it back two or three times even, you know. Okay. Depending on the schedule. Actually, yeah, man, I'm, we're heading back. I'm playing Belfast again. Uh, we're last in line on November 29th. Nice, nice. And that's the... I think that's the fourth time I was played in Belfast with Last of Mike. So. Yeah. That was <laughs> trying to get them to like us, sir. Yeah, they gotta be special shows for you. I yeah, they always are. I mean, you know, it's always um, you know, with, with any band, I mean be it with with Last of Mine or, or Def Leppard, um, you know, it's it's always special to to play your hometown, you know. Oh. And it's always been a great rock audience too. I mean, I remember, you know, back in the seventies, Rory Gallagher in the Ulster Hall, you know, yeah. shows. Great energy, great audience. Mm, mm. So I spoke to Damon Johnson yesterday, and I know you did a run of shows with Lizzie uh, when they got back together. He told me yesterday they're doing the whole of the Black Rose album this year when they tour. The whole album? Yeah, the whole thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I got, I got to do a few of those songs. I played, you know, Win for an Alibi. We did Do Anything You Want to Do. Like early on the, the, the Lizzy tour that I did, we did that song, and um, of course we did Black Rose, which was the the important one. You know, mm. but when I, when yeah, I, it was great. I mean, part but, of that whole thing. I mean, it was after that that tour that I uh, that kind of was a stimulus for me to call up Jimmy Penn and Vinny Appice and, and started what was uh, to become the last of mine band. You know, so that kind of grew out of that mostly. Um, yeah. You know, just just being there with those guys and just kind of brought me back to my youth. You know, playing those songs. Mm. Now I asked Damon yesterday what song from Lizzie that he always prodded Scott to play, and he said, "Got to give it up," and he's going to be able to play it this summer. But when you were in the band with Scott, was there any particular song that you really wanted to play from the Lizzie catalog? Yes, and they and both he and Brian didn't want to play it, especially Scott, and that was the rocker. I just all I just love that song. It's, it's such a great guitar riff, and I know it's not his. It's Eric Bell's, obviously. So, so maybe that's why um, you know Scott was a little bit reluctant to want to do it. 
Um, Brian didn't want to do it because it's a high energy song, and, and you know I'm talking about the encore song. We always had a bit of a like, what do you want to do tonight for the encore kind of thing? And I always want to do the rocker, and they would always look at each other and look at me and go, or whatever. And then like towards the end of the run of shows, I then it was only three or four months I played them, but I would just go out there and just start it anyway. Yeah, they had no choice but to follow. it's such such a great riff. I mean, the the guitar riff is great, bass riff is great. I mean, it just it kind of sums up, you know. Lizzie, Phil Lennon's whole personality. Um, it was, he was the rocker. Hmm. Hmm. Now, can you envision a day when, when Last in Line, where, where you actually don't do any Dio stuff in the set? Um, I, probably not, but we're certainly doing less. And in fact, um, a couple of weeks ago, we, we just finished doing a run of about three weeks of shows on the East Coast. Yeah, I, I and, uh, Vivian, I missed them all. I couldn't go to any of oh, them. <laughs> I really appreciate, appreciate your support. Um, so, but there was one show we opened for Doc, and, and so we had to cut down our set to about sixty minutes. Um, and I, it wasn't a deliberate thing, but it was only after the show that I looked at the set that we just played, and I realized that was the first time ever where we the balance and we actually played more of our own songs than than our deal catalog. So. Uh, you know, and I, I do think that going forward, we have to kind of aim for that because, you know, we've got two albums of original music right now. But I, I think it would be foolish of us to to not uh, address the history of the band. I mean, the band did grow out of, of the ashes of the original deal band, you know, uh-huh. with Denny Apathy and Jimmy Bain and myself. You know, obviously we lost Jimmy, unfortunately, three years ago. But, um, you know, it's we we take in the name last in line. I mean, we're named after the Dio song and album, so you know, and and it was a very very crucial part of of not only my career but then Apathy. So you know, I I think that you know there's a, there's a great legitimacy to Vinny and I playing those songs. Um, so I think we will always feature some of those big songs. I think we'll always finish the the set with We Rock. You know, I think we'll always play. Last in line or namesake song, you know. I think we'll probably always play Holy Diver, you know. <clears throat> and if you, you know, Rainbow in the Dark, obviously, is always going to feature as well. But you know, it's nice now that we've got two albums worth of material that we can, you know, fill out a set that represents who we are as, as a as a new band, you know, and, and still, you know, pay respect to our history. Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of, of the Holy Diver tour itself. You know, back in nineteen eighty four. Um, when we, we toured the Holy Diver album, you know, we didn't have enough songs in that album. There's only nine songs on the Holy Diver. <clears throat> and we didn't play all of them. We we played a, quite a few of them, but we had to fill out the set with a bunch of Black Sabbath songs, you know, a few Rainbow songs and stuff. And, and that's kind of how it's been with Last in Line for the last several years, you know, where the bulk of the set has been built around the Dio classics. So we're we're taking that next step forward. Uh, now, when, when Jimmy passed away... Um did you think to yourself, mm, maybe I might? I don't want to continue on with the band. That you, you wanted it to be the three of you guys moving forward, mm-hmm. or are we? Were you just right? We're, we're just going to keep going. No, that that was that was certainly the first thought. You know, that's it. <clears throat> we're done. Um, but you know, the Jimmy died a month before the album came out. Before Heavy Crime came out in early 2016, and. Um, 
couple of things happened. Number one, the, the record was really, really well received, you know, by a lot of people, and and there was a lot of excitement about it. Um, and also, you know, when when Jimmy died, he he had one tattoo on his body, and that was <laughs> last in line. <laughs> and it was in reference to this band and not, and not the original Deal album. You know, it had our little logo on it. Yeah. And that's how much that's how much the band meant to Jimmy. You know, the last couple of years of Jimmy's life in particular were very, very troubled. Um, you know, he'd, he'd gotten, his, his past had caught up with him. You know, he'd gotten into trouble with, with the law, you know, on drug offenses and whatnot, DUI and, and stuff. And, and, you know, he, he had no material possessions, um, he was really, you know, living hand to mouth and, you know, he was very excited about the band and, and when we were making the Heavy Crown album, it really was his life, you know, and, and, and he was so excited about it when I got the only tattoo he ever had in his life. And so, you know, when, when the record came out and, and, you know, we, we had a chance to mourn Jimmy and, and gather our thoughts and stuff, you know, we, we looked at that and we thought the record's been really really well received we've invested so much in it jimmy invested so much in it it was his final recorded work that you know we owed it to ourselves and we owed and his memory to to do what we could with it and uh, and it's, that was especially apparent when when phil suzanne came into the picture because um you know we thought about moving forward first of all and we started playing with a, with a bunch of other bass players in rehearsal rooms and it didn't feel right you know I mean there were some great players who came in and whatnot but when Phil walked in you know I, I've kind of casually known Phil over the decades uh, I met him a few times I didn't really know him that well but but Benny and Andy knew him much better than me and they suggested that he come down and play with us and as soon as Phil walked in the room he just has that presence about him um, he's a professional you know he he you know, back when we were with Ronnie in the 80s doing those early deal albums, he was with us. He, you know, so there's sort of a, a, a kindred spirit or there's a connection, you know, musically and, and generationally. And, and what's more, you know, Phil's English and Jimmy was Scottish, so we still have that balance in the band of two Americans and two mm-hmm. Americans. Yeah. And, and that, that sense of humor and that sensibility that comes with it. And it just kind of felt right. And, you know, he's such a professional. So, um, no, he doesn't play exactly like Jimmy. You know, no two people play alike, but but he brings something different to the band um, musically that I think really kind of pushed us on the the new album, on the two album. Um, you know, he, he's he's a much more ambitious player than Jimmy was, um, and he kind of challenges himself a bit more as a musician to to find bass parts. He's, he's less fundamental and more ambitious, a bit more like uh, I would say, like how John Entwistle was to the Who and how Peter Buck to Black. You know, um, mm. sort of catching themselves player and and bass part that don't beat with the others, but still. Yeah. So, no. That was that was it. People once walk in a kind of chance. It's kind of this this right for me. It it kind of I said that we we can move forward with this time. Mm. Now, now, Vivian, when you've done a run of shows with with Last in Line, and you end up going back into rehearsals with Def Leppard, do you feel a change in your guitar playing? Do the other guys even sense it at all? That you know, because you're playing a different style of music, and then you're coming back into Leopard, which is a completely different style in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I, I notice it. I mean, I'm definitely a much, much better guitar player <laughs> because of the work I'm doing with Last in Line, but I'm not sure that, that you'd notice it in Def Leppard, you know? Mm. Um, Leopard, obviously, it's a two-guitar band, and Phil gets to do most of the heavy lifting as regards to solos because most of what we're playing is um, is the, the band's classic catalog from the 80s. Um, you know, with, with Leopard, I always say the, the real challenge in the band is and not only as a guitar player, mostly for rhythm parts and whatnot, but but as a vocalist, you know, we are a very, very unique band in Leopard. We're, you know, the only band that really has such strong live vocals married with this real hard rock sensibility. And, um, you know, that that's kind of where the, the focus is in that band, you know, and, and the show. I mean, it's a very, very, very different experience to me to, to be an on stage with, with the last in line, you know, and the only melodic instrument in last in line, you know, we're not even touring with a keyboard player currently. So, um, it's a lot of, uh, it's a, a real challenge to me as a guitar player to go out and play that stuff, you know, with Def Leppard, it's a real challenge to, to be part of that team, to excel as a guitar player in a very subtle way, in a very nuanced way, but to really kind of bring it home as a singer, <laughs> you know, it's, Every single song we're singing multiple parts, and uh, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed, but they've, they've given me the Mutt Lang parts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's not like here. Here's a nice little cushy line for you to sing. It, it's a real ball buster, night after night. And you know, we um, we're we're nuancing our performance in in Def Leppard. You know, and, and Phil and I in particular talk about this a lot. You know how. We just tour after tour, we get better and better at it, you know, and, and as, as indeed you'd hope you would, you know, and that's the great thing about being a musician as opposed to an athlete. You can actually get better as you get older, you know, even though your body may be not what it was 20 years ago, you know, it's, our throats are getting better, you know, as a guitar player, I'm, I'm definitely getting better. I, I actually, you know, without wishing to toot my own horn, I, I'm very, very, very comfortable with how I'm playing guitar in the last several years and I think it's as a result of, of the last online project. In fact I know it is, you know, it's um and it's also a, a result of, of of being, you know, almost fifty seven years old, you know, and, and having a bit more of a uh, a grown up attitude towards it all. But I, I was never really happy with my my guitar playing in my twenties and my thirties and whatnot. I was always spinning my wheels, you know, and thinking, oh that's not very good. But, you know, now I can kind of really appreciate what it is I do and think, oh, you know, <laughs> I may not be the best guitar player in the world, but nobody else is going to be able to do what I just did, you know, because we're all unique, you know, we all have a, a unique approach to our instruments and, and that's what gives us our own unique voice. And, and I'm finally comfortable with my own. And I can't say I was happy with it when I was in my twenties. Um, you know, and, and even, you know, going back to last in line again, when I go in and I play those solos, they're really, really challenging because, uh, you know, a lot of it, when I was recording it, it was very spontaneous and it's all very idiosyncratic and it, it's, it was difficult to do and difficult to relearn. And I'm still trying to finesse those guitar skills. Like I don't feel like I've ever played them a hundred percent. You know, I, I think like I've gotten close and I get closer and closer every time I perform them, but I'm still, you know, I'm trying to reinvent the wheel in that way. You know, I'm trying to just to make, to get that ultimate performance and I'll probably never reach it. In fact, hopefully I never will because then I won't want to push myself. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nope. So Vivian, I, I just got one, I just got one more question before I leave you go. Um, you got the residency coming up again later this year, and hopefully you're going to be doing the dead flatbird thing again, where you delve deep into the leopard catalogue. Um, if they were if the band were to ask you what songs you'd like to put in that that you rarely play, which ones would you pick? Well, I would always pick the deeper album cuts from you know the earlier albums, like High and Dry and, and the Paramenia record. You know, um, but they're the songs we're least likely to play. Things like Billy's Got a Gun or whatever. Um, you know, it, I honestly don't know what it is we're going to do. Like said, we haven't even decided it. So I'll know more next week when we start rehearsals for this upcoming tour. But um, yeah, the, the deeper cuts, you know, things that, that were more guitar centric are always a bit more exciting to me. And, and I know that they're exciting to probably about. 25 or 30 percent of our audience everyone else wants to hear pour some sugar on me you know so as always we got to try and strike the right balance between appealing to the majority and, and appealing to the uh the hardcore yeah have you have you written anything for the new leopard album yet i i don't have a studio at the moment i'm in the midst of moving okay um, i've been in an, apart- in an apartment in la for the last several years so i'm finally moving actually these are my last couple of nights in, in la and um, I'm moving to New Hampshire, and uh, all my stuff is in boxes. So to answer your question, I, I just keep ideas on my iPhone, and I have done for several years. So it, it's more difficult to write songs for Def Leppard in that way because um, with Leopard, I'm not very good at selling my ideas. I kind of need to make them fully realized. You know, I, I always kind of equate it to a, like a picture. Like if I'm trying to sell Def Leppard on one of my songs, I need to bring them like a, an oil painting. <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, not not a like not like a pencil sketch, like, like <laughs> you know. Uh, and it's different with Last of Mine because Last of Mine we just go in and jam, you know. And, and Def Leppard don't write songs like that, so so I really do feel like I, I need to kind of focus on that. I'm excited to be moving finally into a new home and to to reestablish a studio because I I've been kind of in a state of flux for literally the last ten years. You know, that, that a bunch of series of events happened in. Actually, it was exactly 10 years ago. It was May 2009, you know, is when I, uh, my first marriage fell apart and I left home. And, and I, that was the last time I had a studio. And I'm really, really, really excited about getting this new one up and running, you know. Hmm. Well, if, if you're moving to New Hampshire, Vivian, I hope you like the cold because it gets cold up here in the winter. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. Yeah, I've, I've spent a few winters there. I can, I can handle that. All right. Well, have a good rest of the day. I'm going to leave you go. I know you probably got other interviews and you got to pack and all that stuff. So, I do have to pack. Thanks, Richie. Yeah, no Talk problem. I'll see. I'll see you out there. All right. Well. All right, Be Vivian. Well. Take care. Always good to have Vivian on the show. And if you want to find out what Last in Line is up to, you can go to lastinlineofficial.com. Check out all the upcoming tour dates. Um, you know, basically listen to today. You probably already list, missed it. They uh, did a show at the O2 Academy, but also they're doing Download Festival on Friday. And uh, they've also doing the, uh, they're playing Las Vegas on uh, September 13th. They'll be going out with UFO and you could see them October 15th in Phoenix. They're going to be hitting San Antonio, uh, Illinois, Ohio, Indiana, Michigan, and winding it up in New York City. 
So lots of dates coming up for Last in Line. And then even after they get off of that tour on October 30th, there's also some tour dates in uh, in Pennsylvania. And then over in the UK, even some stuff in December as well. And they're always adding more tour dates as well. So if you want to find out about what's available for merch as well as where you could go and catch Last in Line live, then again, go to lastinlineofficial.com. So with that, why don't we let Richie keep his promise and give Chloe Lowry from Rocktopia and Trans-Siberian Orchestra a little bit of time. So uh, take it away, Richie. Hi, Chloe. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Um, I was the guy on the bus with Tony Bruno last Saturday in Boston when you got on. Between. I know exactly who you are. Okay, I I did promise you I'd interview you, so here I am. Yay, how you doing? I'm okay, so where are you today? We are in Augusta, Georgia. Okay, and is, how, how's the tour been going so far? It's been going great. You know, um, what's crazy about this show, I think, is that like sometimes people come and they don't exactly know what they're going to see. And like usually audiences sometimes are a little tentative at first, but by the end they're up on their feet and they're singing along and it's crazy. So it's always kind of like a big reward at the end of the night. Yeah, I was a little bit tentative going because uh, I didn't know how it was going to work. I've never really been to a show like that before. I, I think a lot of people have the same feeling. They're just kind of like, what are we seeing? Is this a rock show? Is it a concert? Are we going to hear some classical music? Like, what is it? Yeah. It's a little bit of everything. Yeah, it's kind of, it's interesting the way that they meld the classical songs in with the classic rock songs. And you kind of think, nah, they're not going to go together. And then it's like, well, hang on a second. Actually, they do. I know. It's it's really unique. I'm actually surprised they haven't done, or someone didn't think of this concept before, but it's super unique to Rocktopia, just how they use it. It's like, it's not like Cashmere, like how you've heard Cashmere a million times, or Cashmere just done with an orchestra. It's a completely innovative, like, re-envisioning of how to present these songs to a new generation of people, and I just think that's the clever part of Rocktopia. Yeah, d- d- y- Opening the second part of the show with uh, U2 were the streets of no name. I was like, no, nah, that can't be the U2 song. Because to me, the song that would really fit that format is uh, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Ah, oh, that's a great one. Yeah. That that choice of U2 song, like that really did take me off guard. You're right about Kashmir and, and some of the other songs, but the U2 one was like, wow. And it actually did work. I, I mean, you know what? I actually was not super familiar with that song personally when I joined the show and I think that's actually one of my favorite moments of the show it's just it gets people on their feet I don't know I think the energy is really good in the song and the way it's presented I think just it's much it's different has more energy than I even like the record version but I really kind of love it yeah well I'll tell you something interesting that happened to me last night um, I interviewed bass player Jeff Pilson he's been in Foreigner for 15 or 16 years And I interviewed him at the venue. He is aware of the show. Um, He is going to look at video of your performance doing the Foreigner song. So, yeah, so that might actually get back to Mick Jones, who is the the founder of the band. Well, holy shit, that would be awesome. I actually, um, my really good friend, Joel Hoekstra, uh, he played with Foreigner for a very, very long time. And I saw them when they were playing with, I think it was Journey a couple years back, and they're phenomenal. Hmm. Yeah, I, I know. I've met Joel myself. He's one tall dude. <laughs> we call him the Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> he's just so tall, and he like does splits on stage. He just looks like a big horse. Yeah, he's actually playing. Um, he's playing about half an hour away from me tonight. 
with White Snake. Nice. Yeah, he's like. I mean, I've known him since I was like 15 years old. I I love Joel. Yeah, he um. When TSO played it here in November. I brought my eight-year-old son to the concert and it was his first arena show. So as a surprise, Joel arranged for me to get backstage with him, but I'd never met Joel. And then he walked out and I just looked at him and was like, oh my God, he's so tall. But he is a, <laughs> he is a sweetheart. My son was like, he was scared because Joel had all the stage gear on him because it was in between sets. And he was a little oh, bit, yeah. yeah, he was a little bit intimidated, but Joel could not have been nicer. He is so sweet. He's, so, he's like, he's such a professional. Actually, I sang a duet with Jeff Scott Soto on his last record called 13. Mm-hmm. So um, I was on Joel's record and it was really great to work with him. Like he's just, I don't know. I just, I love him. I mm. think he's great. So, so the TSO thing, um, you've been in that now since what, 2010? 2010. Yeah. How well did you know Paul O'Neill? I knew him very well. Um, I got to know him throughout the years. I mean, when I first joined, I really honestly didn't know what TSO was. I have to be honest, my family were more Mannheim steamroller type people. Mm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I joined, I had to look it up, I kind of did some research. He was there for my very first audition. I mean, I had a great working relationship with Paul. I think Paul kind of saw me as one of the, um, he calls us like the mother hens. Like you're either like the little, the little girls or you're like the mother hens. And I was kind of, I, I always took on a lot more responsibility that was, even called of me so I think he kind of looked to me to like help like with the younger cast members and kind of like work like choreography and things like that so I had I had a really great working relationship with him and I worked with him in the studio and yeah it's just it's kind of surreal that he's still not with us I I, I honestly forget sometimes hmm. now I had um Chris Caffrey on and he's the guitar player in the band TSO on the oh, yeah. on the east coast and I picked his brain about what Paul taught him about songwriting did you ever talk to paul about how to structure a song um i'm trying to think i you know chris has a very different he had a different time with paul like uh when they were in sabotage hmm. and I, obviously he knew paul on a different level than i ever could um i more or less had a relationship with paul as far as like storytelling his song not necessarily i mean he he would tell me sometimes the history behind um, the context of the song and why he wrote it, but as far as like, formatting a song, um, we didn't really speak of things like that. But um, he did very much um, encourage me to really like dive in and like find the emotion behind songs and where he was coming from when he wrote the song and what emotions he wanted me, you know, to have when singing it. So it was it was more of those lessons I learned from him. Hmm. Now let's talk about the the, the solo album. The lyric yeah. the lyrics on this are incredibly per- personal. Um, Thank you. Was that difficult to write? Did it? Did, did you write over a long period of time, or did it just all flow out of you when it started? You know, I think from beginning to end, it's probably it was like a year, um, and not in any sort of concentrated timing. It was more just as I was going through things, I kind of just wrote as a form of therapy, and um, and how how the the storyline of the album kind of progressed was very organic. It was just a natural progression of how I was feeling things. And I've always been a very, um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a literal writer. I'm not so much um, into, just my my style is just, here's what I went through and here it is in some sort of like poetic way. Um, and so that just kind of made sense for this record and for what I wanted to say, which is like, here's my story and out it came. Mm. It's, it's like, I'm listening to it and I'm like, wow, seriously. Um there's certain things in it, though, that you've got these short sections in it. There's betrayal, denial, 
reflection, acceptance and forgiveness. There's no anger section. <laughs> um, well, <I> mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I think the betrayal, I think the betrayal was more like the denial and the like I think that was betrayal I think was more the angry side. But I really throughout this breakup, I mean anger it wasn't like a huge chunk that wasn't like angry that I needed to like scream and shout at him. It was it was a lot more emotional it was deep, it was deeper than that. Mm. Betrayal is even a little bit stronger than anger. Anger is very um very flippant, I think. It's 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 not based in anything like real anger. Like so I think betrayal and denial and all those things, those are deeper than just anger, I think. Yeah. Was there any at any time during the writing of it, did you think you were exposing too much about yourself? That it was too personal that people mightn't get it? Uh, you know, I didn't really think too much like that on this. Um, I think once you start like really like analyzing what everybody else is going to think, it's when you kind of lose yourself. Hmm. And I, I've totally been caught up in that, you know, rabbit hole and I really didn't want to go down it. Cause if anything, I just kind of did this for me. I wanted just to write a piece of music on my own without judgment and without trying to, um, without somebody telling me what I should do or needing some sort of expectation other than my own. Um, oh. and it's always, I think part of my gift is, um, telling a story that is really honest that people relate to and yeah. what more, what better story than to tell my own and the most honest way, which is what I did. So no, I mean, I just think that's part of our job of being artists. Like we, we have to talk to people and relate to people. And this is just the way that I thought I could relate to people. Mm. Did, did you write the lyrics first and then put the mu- and then write the music to, to fit the lyrics or was it a, a kind of uh, the other way around or maybe a combination? I think it was always a bit of a combination. Um, I, sometimes I, I, use, I have like pages of a journal that have like song titles and song ideas um, of things that like I, I know I want to talk about. But typically I'll, um, I'll either write something on the piano and or I'll make a very basic track just something to kind of give me a base and usually I'll start coming up with the melody and it, it's usually like the first word of the chorus or whatever that will really like trigger and sometimes I'll go back to that journal and pick one of those ideas that I had. Uh, so it goes back and forth but um, I'm, I am one of those people that I usually write songs in about 10 to 15 minutes and if I can't write it like in that time then I put it away and sometimes I'll revisit it like months and months later but if I can't finish it right then and there I usually just walk away from it. Mm. When you were singing these songs, um, was it easy to keep yourself together when you were doing it? That it might have brought up memories that, like, they obviously they probably still hurt. Some of it was actually good to kind of get out. It was kind of a way of just like you know word vomit, spitting it out, throwing it out, and then putting it to bed. Yeah. Um. So it was good to kind of it was a, it was like another way of just processing feelings by just kind of writing it down and like saying it out loud, and then being able to kind of let it go. Yeah. Most of the songs, I mean, it's been two years, I think, since the actual initial life change breakup thing that kind of, you know, started this whole record happened. Um, and it, I'm very, very well adjusted since then. It's, it, I sing the songs with a sense of pride that I'm like, wow, I just kind of overcame all these emotions versus like, oh, my God, they still like cut deep. But I do have to say, like, the words you wanted, which is the final track of the album, that one still kind of hits a little close to home. Um, so it, that's the only one that really kind of stings. Everything else is just more of like a reflection of like what I went through and how far I've come. As mm. now. Yeah, that song, The Words You Wanted, is probably my favorite. I love it. I'm a sucker for acoustic songs. Uh, yeah, me too. That one, um, that song was actually written by my, um, my ex, who I was in band with, who that's what pretty much a lot of the record is about. 
Um, and he wrote that acoustic piece way well before we ever broke up. And I had found it in a random file on my computer when I was just like going through some music ideas. And I had written another song to that actual track. And I was like, that does not work at all. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write something else. And I took the line of what you wanted because he, he knew I was writing a record about what had happened between us. And he was just like, God, he's like, if you could just give me like the words that I need to hear, like that would be something that means something instead of just like all of these like um, shiny toys and renegades and all these things. And I was like, you know what? And at that point I had really like come to terms with it. And I was like, here are the words that you want. This is, this is what my heart says to you now. So it was kind of a really nice ending. Mm. Now the rock set cover, it must've been love. Um, yeah. Did you cover that because you liked the song or because the lyrics fit the rest of the songs on the album? First, I was a fan of it when I was a kid because I watched Pretty Woman about 58,000 times like every other kid. <laughs> it's like one of my mom's favorite movies, randomly, although it's about a prostitute. Don't know why kids think that's a cool movie to watch, but it is anyway. Um, <laughs> huh. um, and I remember just hearing that song and it was great. And one of my girlfriends, Ashley, who's worked with me with CSO, um, we are like music junkies and we listen to music all day, every day while we're getting ready in the dressing room. And we have like a throwback playlist on and that song just kept popping up. And I looked at her and I was just like, Ashley, I was like, this is a really great song. I was like, I should like remake this. And she was like, oh my gosh, you 100% should. And after the fact, after really kind of diving into like how I wanted to do it, reading the lyrics and trying to think of different ways to present this song, I was like, this song is a lot deeper than why people people think because the, you know, 80s, 90s, you know, it has that pop thing, but the, the lyrics are beautiful and it just fit perfectly um, where I wanted it to fit in the record. So it was just kind of like a kiss nut moment that it was just meant to be. Mm. Let's talk about the song with Nathan James. Um, yeah. I've had Nathan on the show. He's a fantastic guy. He's a brilliant, brilliant singer. Now, when you gave him the song, he's obviously playing a part in the song, the male part and you're the female part. Um, did you have to explain what you wanted from him, from his vocals, the emotion behind it? Or did you let him just go ahead and sing his part? You know, uh, um, Nathan, I've been friends with Nathan for a very long time, and Nathan knows a lot about my, you know, my personal past. Just like, we're, we're genuine friends. Yeah. We've been through a lot together. We toured many years together. Um, so he knew the sentiment without me even having to say something. He knew what I was doing. He knew what the record is about. All of the above. Um, and I had a very, um, I had one of my very good friends that was based in New York, you know, do a really quick demo just so he would get the idea of what it would sound like as a duet. And I really told him, I was like, Nathan, I love everything that you do stylistically. You have a gift. You know you know what to do. I was like, just make this your own. Because he obviously had to record his part in, in London. Mm-hmm. And he came back and it was just, it was perfect. We just put it together. I tweaked some of mine. Actually, my, even my original vocal was my very first demo vocal. I never even touched it. It was just one of those things that just, like, I put my thing on it. And I was planning on re-recording everything and doing whatever. But then he came back and put his right on top of that. And it just worked. And wow. got nice. Yeah. Now, one of the things Nathan said to me when I interviewed him, um, he hasn't gone out as a solo artist. He's out with the band Inglorious. He told me that he, he always wanted to be in a band with a band name. And you're going out solo now. Would you like to be in a band? I, you know, I've been in bands. I, I had a band before my solo career called Chameleon. Okay. Um, and we put out uh, three or four EPs. And we toured the Northeast. And, you know, we did all that. And it was really great. Um, really fun to work with a band and to work with other songwriters. It's actually, um, I've always been more, uh, more or less pop rock influence, and this band really took a turn from more of a rock influence. Where I mean, there was very little um, electronic computer anything. It was you know guitar, bass, drums, 
all of the above, and it was fantastic working with them. I loved it. Um, I mean, I would totally be up for it again if it made sense. But I mean, my 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 goal has always been to be a solo artist. I mean, I've been at this since I was twelve. So right now is really I, I feel like where I need to be. Hmm. So you're on the road now, and. I've talked to a lot of singers, and the one thing the singers are always afraid of is getting sick. Um, have you ever <laughs> have you ever gotten sick on the road? Oh my god! Like every TSO tour, I get <laughs> every every single tour because it's during the winter time, and especially with West Coast um, or the East Coast, like they usually drive like two to three, at most like four hours a night, and then they go into their hotel rooms or whatever. Us West Coasters, I mean, we have at minimum an eight-hour drive every night, which is great. We sleep on the bus, but we go from you know seattle to colorado springs to tampa florida like our climate change show it's a lot so usually every year other than this past year which i don't know why i did not get sick and everybody else did yeah it just it happens but you just do your best to like not to to keep yourself healthy um yeah i mean i just i've been at this a long time as far as like touring and i just know what my body can handle what my body can't handle so like on this, on the Rocktopia tour, for example, like, I mean, I literally finish my show. I do the signing line or whatever we need to do after. And I shower and I go straight to bed. Hmm. And, that's, and then I wake up and I do my yoga. I don't drink. I uh, just sleep. I drink tons of water. I steam up to three or four times a day. I just try to stay healthy and not get sick. You just do the best you can. But sometimes you can't help it. Hmm. One of the things that singers always tell me is that they don't want to talk. They hate people asking them questions. Yep. I mean, I, there's a certain point in the day, like usually in the mornings, um, and I, I am a morning person. I love to talk in the morning, but I try not to speak until about 12 if I can if I can handle it, if I don't have anything to do. And then it's just it, it just gives your voice a slow warm-up. But it's like if I go to bed at midnight, I try not to speak until 12 the next day to give myself like a 12-hour rest. Hmm. And depending on how hard you're singing or what show you're doing, like TSO for me is a little bit easier. Rocktopia, I sing really, really high notes and really belty stuff i just got to be a little bit more careful through the days just you know don't overly exert myself and on days if i'm feeling more tired i just go more go more quiet Hmm. you just you just know chloe have you ever done a show and you didn't think you'd be able to pull it off that you just felt like crap uh yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean i was just joking about people like oh like singers singers like we're we're crazy and we're neurotic and we have to be because it's not like like, for example, Tony Bruno, like, he could be sick, he could be ill, he could not have a voice, he couldn't be coughing up a lung. As long as his fingers work and, like, he can stand up, you know, he could do it. But singers are still easily affected by, you know, the elements and if there, there's allergies and things like that. So we just, it, it's, you, it makes you so crazy. But, I mean, there's been times where I've had food poisoning, where I had to go to the hospital and I missed a double show in Salt Lake City with TSO. Mm-hmm. Um, just literally, I had my pores were completely fried from the acid from throwing up all night. Um, and then there's been times where I've actually like just had like um, I sang too hard or something like that. I've had swelling, and it was hard for me to take the day off. Like it happened on Broadway, uh, where you just have to take a day off, and that's just what we have to do. We're we're vocal athletes, and just like any other athlete, you sometimes have to rest. Hmm. Now, when I saw the TSO show here. They did two shows on Thursday in two different in the same city, then two on Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday, all in different cities. Um, when you do that schedule during the day, your voice has to get be ready for one show, and then and then you got to do what to prepare for the second one because normally you probably only do one show, so you only got to get it ready once. So how difficult is it is it to get it ready for two shows in the same day? Well, you know, I have to say, I think um, preparation beforehand is really crucial with these types of shows, which I always like, 
about a month, three weeks before I even start rehearsals for like TSO, I'll start working on my stamina and singing that twice a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Paul was really smart when he designed the show. Um, not one singer sings too much so that they can't do it physically twice a day. I do have to say my my workload on TSO is a little bit more than some of the other singers. Like you, um, the TSO girls, like these two of the big female singers, I do I do both of their parts on my side. So okay. I have kind of a little bit double of the load, but I start prepping before. And then, you know, Tia said they give us about two weeks. And we run that show twice a day, every day, other than, like, a day off. So, like, we're prepped. We're ready. We get it. Like, it's like muscle memory. Um, and then you just have to, like I said, you just have to take care of yourself. And then in between shows, everybody has a different, as they say, process. I hate that word. It sounds so douchey, but that's just what they say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I tend to, I like to take a nap. It also makes me shut up because I like to talk and I laugh a lot and I have to go force myself to be quiet. But there's other people that just, you know, they just go about their day and they're totally fine. They can sing the second show. Some people have to warm down to warm back up. It really just depends on the singer. Hmm. Are you someone who still sees a vocal coach? Like, do they have one on the road with you when you're out with TSO? No, they don't. But yes, I... um, I'm super adamant about voice lessons. My voice teacher, Matt Farnsworth, Matthew Farnsworth, um, I've actually known him since I was about 16. I took a couple-year break uh, during my 20s, but then I started to see him religiously about when I was like 26, 27. Um, I actually was having some vocal problems, and I just couldn't quite figure out what was going on, and I was like, oh my gosh, I need to go back to voice lessons. And he really, he made the analogy that was so clear to me that he said, you know, Ballet dancers or dancers just don't not go to de- like ballet class. Like you have to keep up with your technique. He's like, why would you not keep coming to class? And granted, unless you're having like you're in kind of like a physical therapy stage with your voice, you don't have to go like every week. I probably go once a month unless I'm like prepping for something that I need extra help on. Um, but it's I, I believe it's always good to get a checkup. It's good to you know make sure that you're doing things right so you don't want like end up in trouble because by the time you find out that you're in trouble, it's almost a little too late most times. Hmm. Can you feel or notice your voice changing over the years? Is that something you're conscious of? Yeah, kind of. I don't want to think about it, but of course. Like, um, if anything, right now I'm in my, I would say my, like, my age is my prime. Um, so I'm, I can sing really high. I can sing super strong. If anything, I have to, you know, just with any age, like, it's, I'm not, I'm not as resilient as I once was. Like, I can't. I can't go and like scream for 12 hours and then sing perfectly the next day. Like I just, I just feel a smarter singer now mm. as I'm a little bit older mm-hmm. um, as, as far as just vocal care. But as far as like the quality of my voice, I like it. I have, I have, um, I think I have a lot more life in my voice. Like as I get older, I have new stylistic things that just happen with age and things like that. So, you know, I embrace it. It's not like I was like, Oh my God, in my voice, I sang great. I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm singing good now. Because <laughs> hmm. I, I I talk to so many singers now, and some of them are in their fifties, and they actually prefer their voice now back back to when they were, you know, a lot more famous when they were screaming. They just prefer the tone of it now, and it, it, it's always fascinated me how some of them have accepted the fact that their voice has changed over the years. Because some of them hate it, and some of them actually like it. You know, I think that you have to. It's like I think it's the same thing with age. Like you can't fight it. We are going to get older, and our voices are going to change. And you can either change and grow with it, and take care of it, and nurture what you have, or you can just like sit there and reminisce about the voice you had when you were twenty. Which I mean, I don't even have 
I don't have a. I, I probably had a higher pitched voice when I was twenty, and my voice is still pretty high pitched. Yeah. But you know, it's never going to be that. But um, it is. It, there's a reality, I think, with a lot of singers that, um, and I think it's based on like how you take care of yourself, and also genetic. What your genetic makeup is is um, Steve Perry. Like he, he can't sing the way he used to for whatever reason. He just, you know, it's just not there, and that's okay. Like it just happens sometimes with singers. And you just, you know, have to work around it. Hmm. So I just got a couple of questions before I leave, I leave you go. Um, if you were to pick one song on your solo album that you'd get the Rocktopia crowd to do, which one would you pick? Oh, God. Oh, jeez. Has nobody asked you that? No, that's what I guess. That, like, I'm like, oh, God, no. Because I wouldn't even like put myself like in like classic rock or classical. So I like, didn't even think about it. Um, you know, I think Melanie would actually be a really cool one because it would be like if, uh, like, Toby and I got to sing that. It would just be, like, a cool thing on or something like that, you know? Hmm. And, and what about a song that if you could put in the Rocktopia set yourself that you love, which one would you pick? Any song? Um, just any song in general. Any song in general that you love. Oh, my goodness. Ah! <laughs> That's too hard. That's too hard. Sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> I really am like dying. I'm like, um, um, I mean, not to be generic, but like a comfortably numb would be beautiful. Oh, Pink Floyd. Okay. I like the, I, I like the Pink Floyd stuff. I think people like that stuff too. Um, I mean, I am a huge Zeppelin fan, but I mean, covered that. Gosh, I don't know. Maybe go more obscure. Maybe go more like something with Kate Bush. Like I don't know. I. Oh, you know, like, something like yeah. Wuther- something like Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights, like uh, uh, was it um, who is here again? Now with a child in his eyes. Oh yeah, I yeah, I know that one. I can't think of the name of it. Or <laughs> like nights and like that, and that'd be so cheesy. But I just love that song. I mean, who doesn't? Oh, you never know. You never know. These songs might make it in. You can have a chat with Rob Evan. He might put them in. That's true. <laughs> so Chloe before I leave you go uh, do you want to give out all the social media sites where uh, people can get in touch with you and maybe buy the record yes um, on Instagram it's at Chloe Lowry at um, a Twitter it's um, at I'm underscore just underscore Chloe and on Facebook it's at official Chloe Lowry and you can find me on any of those and I'm very much in touch with like fans and blah 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 and my website is www.chloelowry.com and you can work on my record and or other things and find out everything that I'm up to on any of them. So yeah. Okay. So so what are you doing after Rocktopia for before you get back to TSO again? Um right after that we're jumping straight back into as we call it just Chloe land. Um and we're planning a bunch of tour dates, um and just kinda of working that whole thing out. We're gonna do a bunch of uh, more promo stuff in June. Uh my stuff kinda of got put a little bit on hold just because of this tour, but you know, I'm selling the record at the Rocktopia shows. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're kind of simultaneously, like, making it happen. But back in June, yeah, it's all just stuff for me. And I'm really excited about it. Nice, nice. Well, if you make it back up to Boston way again, I'll uh, hopefully get to say hello to you. Oh, I know. So thank you so much for doing this. I'm really grateful. You're welcome. I, if I make a promise, I always try, you know, fulfill it. So have a good rest of the day. You too. Thank you so much. All right. No problem. Tell Tony Bruno or Richie said hello. I will. I'm going to see him in sound check in, like, 20 minutes. Okay. <laughs> T- all right, Chloe. Take care of yourself. Okay, bye. Right, bye. So, you know, Chloe did talk about her solo release. 
the in-between. And if you are curious about that, you can actually go up to Chloe Lowry, C-H-L-O-E-L-O-W-E-R-Y.com. And right there on the homepage, you can actually download the uh, debut single, Shiny Toy, for nothing. That's right, zero De Niro. Just a little bit of uh, no price for entry to find out a little bit about the uh, solo album from Chloe called The In-Between. And uh, if you want to be even more brave than that and say, you know what, I'm throwing down some dollars for this one, you can get that on Amazon Music, on the iTunes Store. You can also hear it on Apple Music and on Spotify. And I should also mention that you can also get that puppy as a signed copy right off of her website. That's right, ChloeLowry.com. And if you go to any of the Rocktopia shows or you happen to catch TSO when the uh, Christmas season invades us once again and you happen to meet up with Chloe, just let her know you found out about her first right here on Focus on Metal. And I realize right now we got a little bit of time left for the week. And I don't think I've ever played a Sweet Savage track on the show. And you know what? Can't think of a better opportunity than now to do it. So, you know, way back before Viv actually accepted the uh, slot in Dio, he was playing with Sweet Savage, which was, uh, you know, at the time, a pretty well thought of Nawabam band. And uh, while Viv was in the band, you know, they did release their first single. And in fact, one of their early songs, Killing Time, was even covered by Metallica and was featured as the B-side for uh, The Unforgiven. So while Viv didn't stick around for their first official release, he was there for the EP as well as a special BBC appearance back in 81. And from that one, I'd like to play you a track called Eye of the Storm. So going back and hearing the young Vivian Campbell before uh, he ascended to the heights of the Dio band.
right, metalheads. That will do it for yet another week here on Focus on Metal. Hope that you enjoyed our guest this week, Vivian Campbell and vocalist Chloe Lowry. And uh, make sure you support those artists as well, because that's kind of the idea behind this whole thing, right? Supporting our artists. But anyways, that is it for this week. I'm thinking right now that next week we will be having uh, Damon Johnson, most recently from Black Star Riders, but now out doing his own solo gig and I believe that Richie will be sitting down having a talk with Damon. So all that and more next week. And until next week, you can always uh, check out some of our past episodes over on FocusOnMetal.net. Or you could also head over to Facebook, hit up Richie, or talk to me over on Twitter. But for now, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, as we always say, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.